What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Death Gun Podcast. Got my co-host, Elliot, alongside me tonight. How you doing, Elliot? I'm doing great. I cannot wait to get old Chris Jobman from Flatlander Kennels back on here. And that last conversation we had with him on e-collar training, it that was fantastic. It was, it was great to go out and kind of try to get Georgie set straight right after that conversation with him. So tonight... Um, Force fetch, which I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start Low Georgie on Force fetch. Yep. Yep. Definitely going to be a good one. But uh, we got to talk about something. You need to grow that mullet back. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty sweet. Were you impressed? I was. I was also shocked by how young you looked. <laughs> well, I was 17 at the time of those pictures. 17. No 17. beard. Not a gray hair, no, no receding hairline, no. and a mullet. Did you see that? Did you see that frizzy little top I had going too? <laughs> and a mullet that make every actor in uh in uh, Greece jealous. <laughs> if you guys want to see this magnificent mullet, Fellowship of the Duck Guns on Facebook, I'd actually forgotten about it. And uh, Scott Hill was like, "Where's the mullet picture?" Yeah. I had to go dig it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Quite the handsome lad. Quite the <laughs> handsome lad. <laughs> I don't know. You think I could grow a mullet if I tried? Yeah, I'm sure I could. I mean, your hair's still I'll, there, right? I guess. I mean, you know, at 40, I turned 47 on Monday, actually. Wow. Uh, so when you're 47, I mean, you think you can grow hair, but then, you know, maybe you can't. I don't know. I would assume I could. I mean, you still got to get haircuts, right? Yeah. Let me talk to the wife about it and see what her <laughs> thoughts are. Get her feedback yeah. on the whole situation of growing a mullet. I don't know. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> we, need, <laughs> we need to everyone in the Flyways Collective do it. And by the time we get there for the uh, collab, <laughs> that'll be great. I'm trying to think of you with your current hair right now with a mullet. I wonder if the mullet could reach the beard and you could somehow connect them, like tie them in together. <laughs> Just braid it. <laughs> yeah. I hear, I actually heard that the mullets are becoming popular again. Is that true? I think so, yeah. Hmm. Perfect timing. We could we need to be when something becomes popular, you've got to be on the front side of the curve. Yeah, I think it's it. the front if, the, it's really hard to tell with this one though. Because, like, the front side of the curve might be, like, also, like, the back end of the curve at the same time. <laughs> you think? Yeah, it could be like, oh, this is cool. Wait, no, there's a reason we don't do this anymore. <laughs> well, you if you're not starting, when you start something like that, if you're not a little worried that it looks dumb, you're not on the front side of the curve. Yeah. Because once everyone starts doing it, then you're just a, uh, for lack of a better term, sheep, right? Yeah. That's been a constant <laughs> theme. I mean, that's why when I duck hunt, I wear orange. <laughs> yeah. Not in, not in my blind, you don't. <laughs> you don't feel silly about it. You're not on the front end of the curve, man. I'm starting new trends. Well, that doesn't mean that every time that you do it, it works. Yeah, you're right. But it's that with those trends, you certainly have to be. Like, if I all of a sudden right now started wearing flat bill, which I've never worn, but if I started wearing it right now, how how how, how stupid would I be? <laughs> You want like a number? Or skinny jeans. <laughs> oh, I hate skinny jeans. Never owned a pair. But I can say, I can tell you this, that my jeans certainly got 
more fitting over that span. I never wore skinny jeans, but before, like when I was in the '90s, it was like baggy and everything baggy. Oh yeah. And so you know, I don't remember what because I what my, the jeans I wear basically don't change. It's like. If if people like baggy, my jeans will get a little baggier, and if because but people just start making them that way, you can buy the same pair of jeans, and they'll be cut different based on the trend. So yeah. they definitely got a little skinnier during the skinny jean phase, but they were not skinny jeans, mm-hmm. like the ones you wear. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could fit in a pair of skinny jeans. <laughs> those banded. What is the name? Do you remember the name of those banded pants that you got? I don't remember the name of them. Those were pretty form fitting, I'll say. When I saw yeah. you in those, I was like, <laughs> "Well, there there was also a lot of uh, underlayers as well." I was, uh, you know. <laughs> Actually, the only reason I'm saying that is because I I was hoping to get a pair of those, and Jordan got a pair, and I didn't, and I was extremely jealous because <laughs> those pants were really cool. Yeah, they're definitely pretty solid. Yeah, that and the floating gun case were the two that I was like, oh, Jordan, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> not for real. Not for, I did want those, but I didn't actually harbor any resentment about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lie. We all know the truth. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. I was glad that you got some stuff that I didn't get, that I wanted really bad that you got, and I didn't. Yeah. That I wanted really bad. Well, I harbored enough resentment for the both of us then. <laughs> <laughs> About the stuff I got that you didn't? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my sweet little bearded fellow. <laughs> is this what this podcast is going to be tonight? <laughs> what, me, uh, um, you not making fun of me? I doubt that. Yeah, probably not. That's why I'm bringing in I'm bringing in the big guns tonight. He, you know, he went pretty easy on me, really. I thought. Yeah, he definitely could have gone harder. Well, he went hard once, yeah. and I thought your feelings kind of got hurt. So. <laughs> when was that? I don't remember him ever like really being critical. Yeah, I'm just kidding. You know. Now it's a good podcast. He definitely uh. He can uh. I don't know how to say this in the right way. I'm trying to say it, like, in the right way. He's got a ton of information. Like, there's some people that, you know, you got to, like, really kind of, you know, ask a lot of questions. But he knows what he's talking about and and goes through all the information pretty good. So, definitely yeah, be a, an exciting one. Especially, like, because I feel like um, with uh, the e-collar stuff, we don't really necessarily know a ton about it. I think, I mean, you've gone through it. I haven't gone through it. So, I don't know a ton about it. All I know is that it makes me nervous. So um, it'll be good to hear everything he's got to say about it. Yeah, with the force fetch? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I went back and did everything he said uh, with the e-collar. Um, I was listening to the episode again, and what I didn't, I didn't do the two-second burn he was talking about. But I went clear up to seven with her, and then I actually upgraded the collar, and I didn't go to the full 1825. I went to the 1225 which is three-fourths of a mile versus a mile. Um, and I, he did give me an earful about that off air. I will say that. <laughs> he was he was not <laughs> he was hammering me pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll tell you, on the, on the Sport Dog 1225, the, like, number four um, on the dial versus the number four on the 425 is totally different, completely different. And, f- in fact, 
Um, I, I, my wife actually touched the hat. Um, I shocked her. Well, this is gonna sound bad. I shocked her with the number seven. She had it in her hands and we were testing it and she was able to go up to the seven on the 425, um, and not like, you know, throw the controller or throw the, the collar or anything. But I can tell you with that 1225, I don't know what happened on it, but I, because before I ever get it, I want, I, I kind of just make sure that it's working and everything. And so I put it on myself. I, I held it on two fingers and I was like, number one, didn't feel it. Number two, didn't feel it. Number three, I didn't even feel any pulsating at all. So I'm like, man, this thing is not working. What's going on? Dialed that thing up to seven and hit it. Well, it flipped on by the time I hit a seven. And I'll tell you, an hour later, my fingers were still vibrating. I, I threw, because when you get shocked, it's not like you consciously throw something. It just flies out of your hands, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was laying on the couch when I did it, and I screamed out, and that collar flew. I'm like, <laughs> man, that seven, that, that 1225, uh, Georgie going up to a six or a seven on the 425 versus the 1225 are two totally different things. Cause I got her up to the seven on the 420 on the sport dog 425 and she was doing everything perfectly, hardly even yipping and everything. And, and sometimes on the 1225, she throws out a little yip at on the four level. And I got her up to the six on that. I didn't go past the six, but, um, she was doing everything exactly like I was asking her to do. And, and, and so I conditioned her to those higher levels with, with no problem. So I feel, I feel good that I'm done with that now. Awesome. Yeah. I need to find somebody who will be willing to, um, buy my, um, what is it? 425 off of mm-hmm. me because it's, I mean, it's like almost brand new. Um, I just bought it, uh, after the season. So it's been used and just a handful of times. Um, cause I want to upgrade too after talking to him and I might just go to the 1225 like you did mm-hmm. because chief stubborn. And I wonder if I got the 425 S last time, which is stubborn dog mm. because it doesn't feel like I'm getting the same reaction from him. And the 425 stubborn seemed like enough. So like I might as well go up to the, eight, the 1225, like we talked about. Um, but I definitely want to get somebody to buy mine first so I can get, you know, 150 bucks out of it or whatever to put into the, um, 1225. So we'll see about that, but, uh, I definitely agree with you. I'm going to jump up to that. So, um, but real quick, let's go ahead and give a quick word to our partners and we'll get Chris on in here and jump into the podcast. So first off, like to give a big thanks over to HTR innovations um, if you guys haven't checked out HDR Innovations, um, you might as well go do it now. The best thing they got going, in my opinion, I love the guns, Dan. Um, I do a lot of marsh hunts, a lot of walking hunts, a lot of kayaking hunts. And um, when you're standing in knee-deep water, you don't have a place to put your gun, your blind bag, um, your shells, your strap of birds, um, everything. You can keep it right out of the water right in front of you. I just put a marsh stool behind it, sit. I mean, sometimes I'm even crouching and put the gun stand in front of me, load it up, and you're good to go for the whole marshy, wet hunt, and everything's dry at the end. Um, and even for me, this is a small thing, but I love having my birds out of the water on the game strap um, because, it's, I don't know, it's just they're not <laughs> – it's such a minor thing, but, you know, I love look, my my birds looking super nice and pristine, pristine all the way to the end of the hunt. Um, you know, that's just me on that. So uh, definitely check them out. Duck Gun 10 for 10% off at checkout and free shipping. 
I will say there's been hunts I've been on with you where I didn't have my gun stand. You had yours, and I was looking at your birds and how cool they looked hanging like that. <laughs> and and then when we're not hunting, sometimes I'll just get a, a text with a picture of it. So it, it is a bonus, a benefit, a bonus of that gun stand for sure. Um, guys, as you're looking for next season equipment, I want you to go to banded.com. And from banded.com, you can access banded, Avery, and Greenhead gear. And just look around at what they got um, before, I'll be honest, before um, we partnered with them, I really hadn't taken a look at those websites to really see what all they offer. Um, there's even Avery Sporting Dog for you um, dog guys. So go over there and check out all the equipment they've got from decoys to clothing to waders, all things waterfowl, um, because I'm, I'm extremely pleased with their products. We've used them for about a year now, and I, I love them. I absolutely love them. So. Make sure and go to bandit.com and check that out. Also, like we'd like to give a big thanks out to Gunner Kennels. Um, guys, you've heard us say this many times, but their kennels are bar none the best out there. The only kennel that is five-star crash test rated with their rotomolded double wall, rotomolded um, patent design on there. It keeps your your best friend, your companion, your hunter, your investment that you've spent time and money on for years safe um and waterfowl we do a lot of traveling um even if you're local going to your spots you know um they're all over the place if you're anything like me so it's definitely best you know to have a kennel that protects them and gives you the peace of mind um driving around you know um if you're following them on instagram or any of their social media platforms you'll see from time to time where they have testimonials or even um that's probably not the right word but pictures of, of stuff that's happened accidents and um it's just amazing what these kennels can do in an accident protecting the dog so uh definitely go over there check them out duck gun 10 again uh for 10 percent off your order with gunner kennels and you know um i'm i, I want to know what rotomolded means so i looked it up and rotomolded <laughs> is another term for manufacturing process known as rotational molding and apparently when it's rotomolded, it's just um, you can create very strong single piece of objects with better sanitation. I I'd always heard that. I was like, oh, rotomold sounds cool, but I never knew what it meant. <laughs> so and and you can create extremely thick corners. So you just can't that. That's why I think those gunner kennels are like little tanks um, because of that rotomolding, which allows it yeah. just to be tougher and stronger, I guess. Yeah, Extra and it's got, it's got the double wall, and that's the thing they got that separates them from the other companies because there's other companies that have popped up with some higher-end kennels, but they can't be double wall rolled and molded because that's the patent that Gunner has. And so that's, you know, for people who are wondering what separates them from their competitors, and that's it, and that's why theirs is the, the best, you know, built um, of those type that you can transfer and all that, so... Um, but let's go ahead, grab Chris and get right into the podcast. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. Alrighty, folks, we are back. We got Chris with us again. And real quick, guys, if you haven't listened to 
the last podcast we just had with Chris just recently. He came on and he uh, talked all about collar conditioning. Um, we've heard nothing but good reviews from you guys um, about it. So definitely jump back to that one. Um, listen to some collar conditioning before you do any of this force fetch stuff. But uh, how you doing, Chris? Good, guys. How are you? Doing good. Doing good for sure. So, yeah. Um, anyways, and for the people who haven't jumped back, um, Chris, let's go ahead and have you just give a, a brief introduction of yourself again. Yeah, guys. Um, Chris Jobman here. Um, I'm the owner of Flatlander Kennels. Uh, we're a retriever training facility out here in western Nebraska. Uh, we specialize in, in gun dogs um, and hunt tests and low-stake field trial dogs. We run AKC hunt tests. We run HRC hunt tests. We run some qualifying low-stakes field trial stuff. I've uh, been doing it for 20 years, and in that 20 years, um, made 38 grand hunter retriever champions, 200-plus master hunters, 200-plus HRCHs, um, thousands of times I've, I've literally touched my hands on thousands of dogs so um we're a pretty good sized kennel out here and the program that i have um that i follow is is something i've kind of developed over the last 20 years and you know when i when i talk on here and i say hey this is a better way to do it or i would do it like this the reason why i know that is because i was younger i literally i trained dogs um my personal dogs for 10 years without taking a dime. So I I have done every method. I have messed up multiple times. I have tried this. I have tried that. And if you say, hey, what about this? I've, you know, if I say, hey, this is a better way to do it, then this is a better way to do it because I've done that. So I've made every mistake in the book. And and so my, my program was trial and error. I didn't learn from anybody. It was trial and error for 10 years. And now I've developed this over 20. And it's still an evolving program i mean we're we're always adding and taking stuff out here and there and i go around the country giving seminars on it when i when i have time between my test schedule but it's an evolving program that that, that just kind of just ebbs and flows yeah yeah now chris do you do you take notes um as you decide to make changes or is it are you the type of guy that you can just store it all in your head well i'm pretty good at storing all this stuff in my head because my head is filled with absolutely useless information and it's the weirdest thing ever, but I, just, I, I, I keep a lot of this in my head, but I do have literature. Um, when I do my seminars, I do like a, a two day in the classroom seminar. And that basically is everything from basic obedience all the way to advanced. And that's literally in a classroom. Everybody gets a manual, um, big board, the whole deal. So, and, and I just did one a couple months ago that was really good. And But most of the stuff, I, if I change my program, I change it in the manual too. And I don't really change, I just kind of add it. And then when I do a seminar, I literally will talk about everything. And I'll say, hey, this is how we're doing it now, that sort of thing. Um, in the kennel, we have a progression board. And, and my young dog trainer, Jeb, We'll go through that progression board, and it literally lists, you know, it, the steps of my our, of our program, all the way from obedience, collar conditioning, force fetch, training, casting, force. I mean, I can rattle them off, and when a dog gets done with a certain step, their name gets moved to the next one, and and that's how we keep track of that. Um, and then, but a lot of the dogs, 
the transition dogs that Kyle trains, and I train them most of the advanced dogs. That's kind of the stuff that's in our head. Um, you know, Jeb that does the young dogs, he keeps notes of every dog every single day. You know, attitude, what they're doing, what's going on. So, because when you start training as many dogs as we do, you have to have something to look at, and that's a real. And, and, and people that don't do training diaries, it's a really good thing to start because you can look back. I can look back years and years in notebook and no notebook after notebook after notebook of stuff on dogs. And if you have a dog that's going through a tough time with certain things, you can look back on that notebook and say, hey, yeah, we've had a tough time with this dog its whole entire career on this specific, um, you know, act or whatever he's doing. But um, so a training log is a really good, good thing to do. So, so here's a quick question for you before we get too far into it. And this is kind of um, going to be a different situation than probably what you normally get. But um, when I trained my dog, I was pretty nervous about the force fetch. So, um, like Elliot, I used the, the Freddie King TRT uh, training stuff. And when I got to force fetch, I just skipped it. And I started – and training chief was kind of an oddball thing because I, I really didn't know what I was doing when I started. And I kind of trained him. He'd go out, get ducks, and bring them back. You know, nothing special. Um, just kind of like the general normal duck dog. Um, but then I went through and, and started doing some more of the – technical stuff um hand signals whistle sit all that the collar conditioning um but one thing i never went and did was the force fetch um but i mean he really doesn't have a problem with you know holding on to the bird i mean he goes out there he picks it up and he brings it back to me um so i guess in your opinion if for other guys like me that that might be listeners uh, on the podcast is there a reason to go back with a dog that's four years old um, and do force fetch, uh, I guess w- what would be the reasons to do that and what would be the reasons not to if there is any? Well, on a four-year-old dog, that's going to be pretty tough. And you can do it. There's that old adage, you can't teach old dogs new tricks. You can teach them new tricks. It just takes a lot longer. They've got habits to form. Um, I, Man, the, the, the thing about force fetch, what people don't understand about it, and most people think it's like just like you said, go get the bird, bring it back, deliver it to hand. You know, they think that's what force fetch is for. That is a very, very small, small, I can't tell you how small that is for force fetch. Force fetch is the entire base of your handling program. So if you're teaching your dog whistle sits and handling, that dog is, is, is not, you can't force a pile unless you force fetch. You can't water force unless you force fetch. You can't do a lot of things unless you force fetch. So going to get the bird and bringing it back is a very small, minute reason to force fetch. It is literally the whole foundation of your of your training program. So I guess kind of kind of what you're saying is it's the added like having the benefit of them understanding why you're giving them that pressure because they have to go do this objective. Correct. It, and, and, and I hate to even call it force fetch. Um, it, it's, you know, there's force involved. We all know that. But it's more of a pressure conditioning. Like we talked in the last podcast, it is literally another step in pressure conditioning your animal to learn and to shut off and turn on pressure. And, and, and so they can shut it off when they perform the act. 
So it's literally another little building block in this dog's training career to teach them to learn. And another thing it does too, and and I've seen it a thousand times, hey, my dog's hard mouth. Well, it's because you took it hunting and it wasn't force-fetched and it drops birds and mouths them. And some dogs get really, really rough and they tear them apart. That sort of thing. That all gets stopped with force-fetched. All of it. So, so to kind of, uh, kind of the, um, the second part of that question, I mean, with guys that maybe aren't as comfortable training dogs, um, is there anything to be fearful about going into this? Because the one thing I heard, you know, you have to be careful with the force fetch. You don't want to do something that's negatively going to affect your dog. And that's kind of what I was worried about with it. Um, because I, I felt like, not understanding it completely. Just, I didn't want to do something, um, to mess, mess my dog up. Um, is there any reason to be kind of afraid of that as a trainer going into it? You know, I don't necessarily, if I would call it afraid, I would call it, you better be very, very cognizant of what you're doing. And I I will tell you, if I tell this to most people, most people, you know, they, they do their obedience program. They think it's really good. And then they go through, you know, they go through. And then, so our program works, let's just back up. Our program works. A lot of people do the obedience. Then they call our condition. And then they force fetch. Like we do. We do obedience. But there's also a lot of people that obedience, force fetch, and then call our condition. And that's fine, too, if you want to do it that way. There's nothing wrong because there's hundreds of people doing it like that. But we obedience, call our condition, force fetch. So if, if you are, if, I'm going to tell you right now, I think every single dog, every single dog out there that's going to be a hunt dog, and I know there's, and I know there's piles and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and if not thousands of dogs that go hunting that are not force-fetched, and that's fine if that's what you want. But I think every dog needs to be force-fetched. Um, just to stop the hard mouthing and mouthing birds and eating them and, and all those sort of things. Um, another thing for force fetch is it gives you more of a dominance role as as the handler and the trainer over the dogs. <clears throat> so we need to have you need to establish that as well. Gotcha. But yeah, it's 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 such a hard. And people don't like to do it. I don't like to do it. It's no fun. It's no fun for the dog. It's no fun for me. It's not It's not called fun fetch. It's, it's called force fetch for a reason. And I will tell you this, and I always tell this to people, if you're not comfortable with force fetch and you want your dog force fetch, if you're not comfortable with it, seek professional help. Okay. Find a, find, find a good professional trainer and – just bite the bullet, send it in for the, you know, gun dog program or whatever it is, you know, they'll do obedience, call commission force fetch for you. And they'll get the basics down, the, the, that basic foundation. And if you want to take it over, that's great. I, I highly, I can't stress it enough. I won't even take a dog hunting unless it's force fetch. I won't even consider it because, because nothing good is really going to come out of it. I mean, if they start mouthing those birds or eating those birds or tearing them apart, and they do that enough times. It's a habit. It's a habit, and it's almost impossible to fix once it starts. Mm. 
So you got to be very, very careful of, of it all. All righty. Well, I don't so, know if I answered the question right or not. No, I think, yeah, I think so. So Elliot's getting ready to get into force fetch. So, you know, that's uh, – I'll, I'll let Elliot kind of kind of lead the questions from here right now. Yeah, okay. well, I, I listened, um, you know, to the podcast a second time after you were on, and I went back and um, read – kind of just followed your instructions on the e-collar with Georgie, and that went really, really well. I got her, you know, conditioned, clear up to those higher levels of pressure, and – and um, then sent you that little video and you gave me some more feedback and I've cleaned her up on some other things. So I really think that she's ready to move on with the force fetch. So I, th I think, why don't you just kind of start with if, if Georgie was with you, you know, what would day one look like and, and what's the philosophy behind all of it and just kind of lay it out for us. Okay. Well, if, if Georgie's coming to us from you, day one would go back to obedience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm of course. Kidding. I, well, no, I mean you're you're because the difference between her being well obeyed for me and for someone like you, I'm sure there's a a difference there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So if, if, if Georgie was with us right now and, and we were building Georgie, we would go through. So so now we're getting ready to start force fetch. Um. So now we've done a really good on lead obedience program. Okay, that's really solid. We've done a really good solid collar conditioning program, and she's she's perfectly good on that. Now we're getting ready to start force fetch. And before we before you do any of that, when they were in obedience and when they were puppies and they were in collar conditioning, hopefully you got them out and you build you know you you, you built that prey drive with birds. Um, get them get their prey drive cranking. Get them retrieving like maniacs and, and loving what they what they do, because you can get a dog to retrieve through force fetch. Okay, you can a dog that has low retrieving desire. You can do that. Okay, um, but it's not much fun. So we really the, before you start force fetch, that dog needs to be retrieving birds, loving it, wanting to do it. I mean, the whole deal, and, and we, and if a dog is low on prey drive, we spend a lot of time throwing clipped wing pigeons and birds and bumpers and, and getting it just prey drive cranking. Once we start. So let, let me, let me stop oh. you right there for a second. Let me ask you a question. So, um, I have not located any pigeons for Georgie. I have not done any live bird work. Now she has, she has tons of drive for bumpers. I've actually been in the process of trying to locate pigeons for her. Do you think that I should go ahead and locate those pigeons and do a little of that before I start this force fetch thing? Well, I, she likes birds, right? Her her retrieving desire for birds is pretty high, right? Well, I, I mean, I would assume. So. I mean, when when I throw um, when I've thrown frozen birds and bumpers with goose wings on them, she has lots of desire for them. I can't. I so I mean, her desire is really high. I've just never had live birds for her yet. And that's good enough. We we we're just we're fortunate enough here to have three or four hundred birds on hand at all times. Mm -hmm. if, if you can't find a live bird, as long as the dog loves to retrieve birds in general, whether they're oh, frozen, mm -hmm. thawed out, as long as they like to do that, you're good to go. Okay, we're we're good there. Except she would not retrieve a merganser. 
I had a Gadwall and a Merganser, and she loved the Gadwall and hated the Merganser, which I found was odd. Yeah, Merganser is probably probably stinky and it's probably big <laughs> too. Mer, was it a common Merg or was it? A no, it, it was hooded. The it big was a ugly hooded. common. No, no, it, it was a hooded, and and I mean I've been no, I've been doing hooded. wing stuff with her from the time she was little, and she has lots of drive yeah. for the smell of birds. Yeah, good. Yeah, so once. Because how we do it in our program is, I know some people, they keep retrieving and they keep throwing marks for their dogs. Um, we don't really. And the reason for that is is there's there's three phases. I, I, I call them three phases of force pitch. There's the hold portion. There's the force portion of ear pinch and stuff like that or toe hitch, whatever you want to do. Then there's the collar fetch pro portion of it. So there's three phases of it. And it's really hard for a dog to go through the hold portion of forest fetch if you're throwing marks for it and they're retrieving birds and they're doing all, but they keep dropping them. You know, and as they're coming in, they keep dropping them. They come in to heal, they drop them. And so let's just say, put yourself in a dog situation. You're asking that dog in forest fetch to hold the bumper or buck or whatever you're using. And now you're throwing birds for it, and, you're, and for one second you're, you're wanting to hold it, and then the next second you're letting them drop it. I, I think it's very, very inconsistent to the dog. So once we start the hold portion of force fetch, we, we pretty much quit all retrieving as far as that goes. Um, that's why we want to get our bird drive up on these dogs as much as we can. Because let's face it, guys, it's called force fetch for a reason. It's not fun fetch. It's 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 not it's not a fun deal. But it's not something you need to be scared of either. Um, obviously, the high drive dogs are, are usually a little bit better at it. <clears throat> so now let's let's just go through it. So now your your dog is is retrieving birds. It's a collar conditioned really well. Its obediences are really good. Everything's good. Now you're ready to move on to force fetch. There's a couple different ways to to, to approach this. There's guys that, and I did this for almost 20 years. I never force fetched on a table. You can use a force fetch table, or you can go to the trace to the ground. I never, in my whole entire career, force fetching dogs, um, used a table, a force fetch table. And one one winter, it's been years ago. One winter before I had assistance, this is a long time ago. I was force fetching nineteen dogs a day by myself oh. on the ground. Holy crap! And you want to talk about destroying your back? It will destroy your back. Mm. Um. So a lot of the force fetch table is a lot of times for dogs that are obedience is not very very good. Or they need to be with you know up up on the table, and that really honestly is to save your back from bending down all the time, that sort of thing. Now we do have a force fetch table now. Um, we've used it, and we do use it. Jeb, my young dog guy, he doesn't even use it. He he just goes he just does it on the ground. He's 21 years old. He doesn't know any better. His back is perfect. Um, my back is not. <laughs> Let me tell you. So. I mean, so you can either use a table or not use a table. It doesn't matter. And I will tell you this. If you don't use a table, your obedience has got to be very, very good. Because the dog has got to be able to heal really nice. It's got to sit nice. It's got to stay, sit, stay. It's got to be really good before you can do that. Because once you start 
putting some pressure on them, they get real squirmy, and you've got to be able to control them. So a lot of times you put them up on the table to stop the squirming because you'll put a collar on them and you'll chain them to a, like a cable that runs back and forth, and you get them moving. You get them doing all sorts of things up there. Mm-hmm. And it's really good. I've done them both ways. I like them both, to be honest with you. It, it, the only thing that I see on the table that's a big downfall is when you move that dog from the table to the ground, there's a huge step there to get the dog off the table and get them reaching for something on the ground because they're not on the table. So it's another like, environment, so to speak, that they've got to, they've got to overcome. So I never did the table years ago because I didn't like that. I didn't like the, the difference. Um, so basically what you're going to, I and mean, let's go back to this one. Now we're, now we're going to work on holes. So whether you're up on the table or you're not on the table, it doesn't really matter. You can even do it on a tailgate of a pickup if you'd like. All you're literally going to do is sit your dog down, whether you're on the table, the floor, the tailgate, wherever you're at. Um, and I use, a lot of people use weird things for dogs to pick up. They use, you know, some use dowel, uh, wooden dowels. Some use paint rollers. Some use bumpers. Some use dumbbells. Some use hammers. Some, there's, so many people do so many different things and they put stuff in their mouth to just get them to hold it. Like just literally hold like the hammer. So can one end's heavier than the other. So they want them to hold that really good. Well, I can tell you right now, I've never shot a hammer. So I'm not worried about a damn dog picking up a hammer. So I, I'm worried about the dog picking up bumpers and birds. Okay. What we do with the young dogs, we can use a paint roller if you like. That's pretty good. Um, and, we we honestly just go to a, a bumper. That's all we do. We go to a we start with a two inch bumper. Um, we use Avery Hexa bumpers is what we use, and we go to a two inch bumper, and that's what we start hold with. Uh, people are really worried about when they start force fetch and they start hold, is they think they've got to use something something different, so that they they think the dog is not is going to lose retrieving desire for that bumper is what they're scared to death of. And be quite honest with you, I've seen I, maybe less than one percent. Uh, uh, I mean, it, that doesn't even affect. As long as the dog's got good retrieving desire to come into this thing, it's going to be fine. Um, so I use a bumper. That's all I use. And we literally, like, let's just say most people don't have a force fetch cable that are listening. So we're just going to go from, to the ground. You're in your garage, and you need to do this someplace where there's lots of you know not many distractions don't be having your kids running around and, and other dogs running around go to your garage or go someplace where you are just you and the dog and you're gonna put that bumper in that dog's mouth and you're gonna physically pry, you'll probably have to pry the damn mouth open to do it because some dogs will just clam up on you so you pry the dog's mouth open you put it in their mouth and you stay hold okay and you literally just say, and you literally teach that dog to hold this bumper in their mouth. Uh, you can, well, they sit there. That's why the obedience has got to be really good on this. But they sit there in the middle of the floor, and you're, they're holding the bumper, and now you're just going to walk around. And you're going to walk all the way around it. You're going to move. So the obedience has got to be really, really, really good to do this. Okay? <clears throat> then, this, this might take a while, guys. There's lots of dogs out there. That you put something in their mouth, they spit it out. They just—it's crazy. They just spit it out. So you're gonna—if they, if they spit it out, you'll know. You just tell them no, and you grab it. 
pry their mouth open, you put it back in there, you say hold, maybe tap the bottom of their lower jaw, tap their chin up a little bit, say no, hold. And you just literally put your hand underneath them and tell them to hold. And it's just baby steps. You're working on hold, 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 and you're, you're touching their bottom jaw a little bit, and you drop your hand, and then maybe walk back one foot, and it'll spit it out. And you repeat the process. You pick it up. You throw it in the mouth. And you're, you're wanting to get to the point where that dog will sit there, and you can walk all over the place, walk around in circles, go around him, do all these things with him holding the bumper. Okay? You guys with me so far? Yeah, how, how long, yeah. at the at the end stages of that, how long will you test a dog to hold it? Not forever. I, yeah. I'm not going to do five minutes or something stupid. Like okay. I'm just talking like walking circles for, walking, go around him in circles for two or three different times. Yeah. Now, yeah. I will tell you, if your dog's obedience isn't very good, and they start, when, when, our, when I say obedience, I'm talking the dog is sitting down, front feet on the floor, and when you walk around that dog, their front feet don't even move. Okay? Because the more they move, they're going to start dropping the thing. And then you're going to be fighting, dropping the bumper because it's moving around when all reality, it's an obedience problem now. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, so how, how do you stop? Georgie will sit for long periods of time, and she's good on that. But what she will do is she'll spin and follow me if I go around her. Now, now, if she, now, if I if 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 I'm close to her and go around her, she won't. But if I walk 20 yards the opposite direction in the field, you know, she's gonna turn and face me. Is that something I need to try to stop? No, not we're talking 10 feet. Okay. Yeah, we're she's, talking like she's, 10 feet. Yeah, she's solid yeah. on she's solid so, on that. You're talking 10 or 15 feet. We're not. I'm not saying put your dog in the field and take off 100 yards away. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm gotcha. talking 10 or 15 feet, just walking in circles, okay? Gotcha. Now, once your dog is holding the bumper really good, it's not mouthing it, it's not spinning it, it's not spitting it out. Now, you want the dog to hold the bumper in the, in the middle of the bumper um, nicely, not squeezing it, not crushing it, I mean, just good, firm pressure. Now, here's going to come a big, big step. This is going to frustrate the heck out of you. Now, you want the dog to move. So now the reason why the obedience and stuff has got to be really good because now you're going to go through all the healing and sitting and coming in to heal with that dog holding the bumper. Okay. So you're literally going to, you have a little leash on the dog, a six footer or whatever you got. Now you are literally going to want to walk with that dog at heel nicely. And you're going to walk like figure eights with that dog with them holding the bumper, not dropping it. So now, when you start moving that dog, here we go. They're going to spit it out. I guarantee it. And and then if they do, you say no, hold. You put it in their mouth and tap, the, tap their jaw, then try again. And you're just going to keep doing this until they get it. And this could be a few days. This could be weeks. It all depends on you, how good you are, and your dog. Okay? But they've, you've got to do this. So I always walk with I walk them in a figure eight, holding the bumper nicely. Then when they do that, you make them sit. You walk away from them. You call them into heel. You can say heel, and then they, they're out in front of you. They should come in and J-hook at heel, whether it's left or right, but come into heel nicely, holding the bumper, okay? That's going to stimulate that action right there, coming into heel and J-hooking in there, holding a bumper, 
that's going to simulate the mechanics of a retrieve. When you shoot a bird or you throw a bird, how they pick it up and come in, in the heel and Jay hook and sit down. You follow me? Yep. Okay. <clears throat> that's the simulation part of that whole deal. Now, if, if, if for some reason on day two, you can walk around and they're not dropping the bumper. Let's just say you've got a, you got a phenom, you got a Georgie who was color conditioned in three days. <laughs> so you got one of them dogs and you, and they're not dropping the bumper every once in a while. That'll happen. Now you need to do something to make them drop that bumper because it's not done. You need to do something to, to cause them to fail. You need to run with them, you know, as he or walk faster, slow down, move, get some, get some people in there, add some distractions, that sort of thing. Cause you need, you want them to drop that bumper so you can correct them. Okay. Um, and, and that whole deal is there. You have to correct them. You have to get them to fail because what they're doing, those dogs that are like that are holding the bumper because they want to hold the bumper. They like to hold the bumper. They're not doing it because they have to. Mm-hmm. You make sense? Yeah. So now you add distractions and they'll spit it out. And you'll go, no, hold, and then they'll spit it out. No, and now 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 you're now you're working. Now you're actually training. Now you're getting it done. You're making them, you're causing enough distraction that they drop the bumper. Then you can correct those dogs that are we see them every once in a while, not very often. I'll say 95% of the dogs are even higher. <clears throat> when as soon as you start walking, they spit it out. Mm-hmm. But there's always that one, you know, there's always this, oh, my dog did this in three days. Well, no, it didn't. And then we have problems. So you got to, those dogs that are those phenoms like that, you got to get them to spit it out. Okay. And now, now you're, Walking around a heel, you're you're coming into heel, and they're very obedient. It looks good, and they're not they're not spinning the bumper in their mouth, and they're not squeezing on it. They're not chomping on it. They're not. So you you want everything to be very very stable, okay? Now, and you can use a bumper, paint roller, anything like that if you'd like. It doesn't really matter what you use. Just we we just use a bumper, okay? Now, once that's done. Your whole portion of force fetch is done. And the guys that are on the table, what they'll do is is they'll do that whole portion of that thing like that, and then they have that cable on the table like we do, and they'll get that dog to move back and forth across that table, okay, with, with that bumper in their mouth and not dropping it. And what we do with our dogs, the dogs are up on the table – when we think they're done with hold, we move them to the floor and see if they'll do heel and stuff with us while they're holding it. Okay. And if they do, they're going to drop it. I guarantee it. So we move to the floor, but it doesn't take too long. Then we make them do that. We heal them. Then if they, if the guys at the table, I would take them off the table, make them hold it while you're walking. Like, just like I said, and then put them back up on the table for the force portion. So for the force portion of this whole deal. Now, this is, this is so complicated. I feel like I'm rambling too fast. But the now that your dog is holding it, so that's this is why this is why we do obedience and collar conditioning really good before we force stretch. 
because you have to have that control on the dog. Because if you don't have control of the dog and they're running around and you can't even get them to do a sit stay while you're walking around or they won't heal with you while you're trying to hold, now you're working on obedience and trying to work on hold at the same time. That's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that make sense? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, because that's just not going to work. So that's how we do it. And this whole portion could take, I bet on an average, average a week, maybe two even, really. I mean, that just takes a while. Because this is, you don't want, this is where you're going to cause, if you don't do your whole portion very good, this is where you're going to start causing bad mouth problems, like mouthing it, stinging it, chomping on it. Because some of these dogs will get stressed out in this portion, and they'll start squeezing that bumper. Okay? So you got to be careful that if that happens, just back off a little bit and just, you know, if they just see it squeezing it like no hold, or if they're not holding it very good, you tighten up the jaw, no hold, and you just work through it. And that's going to be a week or two. All right? Um, in most professional programs, at least my program, we are literally into a month and a half to two months after the dog started with us. So we have done obedience, collar conditioning, and getting fired up on birds for about a month and a half. Okay. So now we're in the two and a half, three month period of the dog being here. So then you, you don't hold, you can heal them around, now you're going to start the force, the force portion of it. And Chris, this this for you guys things. typically would be around eight nine months old because you don't you get them at about normally six months, right? So for I you guys, them, it's we, about... I get them. Yeah, we get, we get our client dogs in about six months old. So now you're looking at about eight months old. But for now, guys like me, is, who are just trying to do it ourselves, it's just a matter of however long it takes you to get that the obedience and the e collar conditioning done is when is when you start it. Correct. Okay. Just whenever you guys get to it. Now, I know a lot of people that, oh, I force touch my dog at five months. Please don't do that. I know people have done it. I think a dog has to be mentally mature or not, you know, not a full runner, but it's got to be a mentally mature puppy. Because let's just face it, guys, they're still puppies. Mm-hmm. They've got to be a mentally mature puppy to handle this pressure conditioning, to handle the collar conditioning and to handle the force fetch. You know, I know a lot of the guys out there um, that are derby guys that run the derby, they, they, they do this really, really young because they want to get their dog trained so they can run derbies at a young age. But we, we don't run derby, so I'm not worried about it. And so, what is derby? Oh, it's a field trial. It's okay. a field trial stake for dogs under 24 months old. Okay. Yeah, so they're trying to push these puppies to get them to do great things. Gotcha. And it's amazing what they can get some of them to do. So, but I would not, I would not recommend doing any force program pressure conditioning until a dog is relatively mentally mature. Okay, and there's a lot of people out there that say, "Oh, my dog's too soft to be call conditioned," or "My dog's too soft for force fetch." I completely disagree with that. And the reason why I know that is that I've trained so many dogs. I've trained from the softest lab to the softest British lab to the softest golden retriever that you've ever seen. And we've done exactly what I'm talking about. 
it just takes a little longer. You have a little bit lighter touch for a while. It just takes them a little bit longer, but you can do it. So if you got a really soft dog out there, said, "Oh, my dog's too soft for that," and you but and it, it's not. It it can do it. It's just maybe the dog is soft, and maybe you're an inexperienced trainer. And if you're an inexperienced trainer, go seek professional help on somebody that's done it a lot. I'm not talking to the guy that's down there. If you got a softer dog. I'm not talking the guy or that you know a dog that has a little bit less retrieving desire, but it's got enough to keep going. I'm not talking to take it to the guy down there that's trained two or three dogs, ever. I'm talking to go find a good professional that mm-hmm. can act because it's this is the building block. This is I can't tell you how important force fetch is. Um, so now your your force fetch is you're working on hold. You got that all done. So now is the force portion of it. And there's a couple different things you can do is you can either toe hitch, which is a string that they wrap around their ankle and then they wrap around their toe. You can just pull it. It pinches their toes. You've got to do something to make that dog open its mouth. Okay. And so you, some people use toe hitch. I've done it every once in a while. We still do it. Or you use ear pinch, which is, so I, I think is the preferred method. That's what I use. That's what we use. We use an ear pinch. Um, and how we do ours is some people use their, you know, they, they kind of, you know, grind in their thumbnail or they use a shotgun shell or they use something like that. We use our flat collar. So you just got a flat collar on them and I, I hold them with my left hand or on the ground. I hold them with my left hand. I use a flat collar on the prong thing that goes through the hole of the collar to tighten it up. Mm-hmm. I literally take a pair of, I usually take a pair of pliers. And I bend up that prong a little bit. Okay. And so it pokes <coughs> up and it's kind of sharp. And then I, so if I'm holding it left handed and the dog's at my heel, dog's at my heel on the left, I'm holding it left handed. My hand is under the collar. Okay. And don't, your collar is going to be a little bit looser than normal because you got to get your hand underneath there, okay? Mm-hmm. Your hand's under the collar, and you're going to take that dog's left ear, your left, its left ear, and you're going to flip it over, and then you're going to put between your thumb and that prong, and you're just going to pinch push down on it until, let's face it, guys, it's it's going it's going to leave some discomfort. It's going to hurt the dog. It's not going to hurt the dog permanently. But it's going to be enough discomfort that the dog open. You put the bumper in their in their, in front of their face, and you say you push that down, and you say fetch. And when that dog opens its mouth, you put the bumper in its mouth, and you let off on the ear. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you're teaching. It's like collar conditioning. It's like a healing stick. You add pressure. They do the act. You let off on the pressure. And even if the dog is, even if you say fetch and the dog does it automatically, you're still going through this just for the pressure part. You have to, correct. You have to do pressure because even if the dog is grabbing the bumper and when you say fetch, it's doing it because it wants to, not because it has to. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're standing up, your dog's at heel on the left, and this is why you got to have an obedient dog. You grab that, you pinch your ear, and it tries to leave. It's not It's not working. It's not, it's not, it's all disobedient. So you're going to, and you just keep doing this. Pinch the ear, push the ear, say fetch, 
when they opened his mouth, he sticked a bumper in there. And they're, and they're going to look away. They're going to squirm. They're going to probably try to do anything they can to get away from you. That's where you've got to hunker down and hold on tight and don't let them win. You, you, you're looking for, this is all part of pressure conditioning. This is, you're, you're looking for a dog that sits there and performs the act. You're looking for a stable response. The more they squirm and they try to get away, that's when people go, oh my God, what am I doing? They stop. Well, guess what? The dog just trained you again. This is where you hold on, you hang on, and you just, you literally are making the dog do this. Okay. This is where you're teaching the dog to have a stable response that when pressure is applied, you do the act, and then the pressure goes away. This this is literally building this dog's mental set and tough, mental toughness for the rest of its life. I can't even stress it enough. So, so now we're ear pinching. Dog opens his mouth and reaches for it. Okay. And you keep doing this, and then you start moving the bumper farther away and down closer to the floor. So now you're holding onto the bumper on the edge. You pinch the ear. It doesn't reach for it, so you pinch it a little bit harder, and now you push the head down a little bit, and then it's reaching, and then all of a sudden you put the bumper in its mouth. You're looking for the dog. When you pinch the ear, it starts reaching for the bumper. Okay? It starts reaching for it. But the pressure doesn't come off until the bumper's in the mouth, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. So you say fetch, you pinch, and then if a dog doesn't reach for it, you just keep applying pressure. And then when it opens its mouth, maybe reaches one or two inches, grabs the bumper. Good. That a boy. Good. And you're looking, you just keep doing this. I mean, you just keep doing this. And now, we're, now, guys, this is happening. You may not get the dog to reach for the bumper in the first two or three days. You never, you don't even know. It could happen in the first day. Or it could happen in a week. You don't know. Okay? You just keep going. And then and then they're reaching. Now, you're wanting to work towards the ground. Like, you're wanting to – so you're sitting there, and you're want, you want, you're working towards the ground to the point where you're holding on to, like, the rope of the bumper up off the ground a little bit, and that dog is reaching down and grabbing that bumper. All right? Mm-hmm. This might take a while. couple sessions now, a day. It all depends on the dog, Elliot. It really does. Some dogs, it's tough, and they can do a couple sessions a day. I would not do any more than 15 minutes mm-hmm. with a dog unless you're really good at it. So I would not do any more than 15 minutes. And a lot of times when we do our sessions, We'll 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 set we'll set our timers on our phone so that we know not to go past the fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so another thing too is is kind of have a goal set. Like that's like we call our condition. Have a goal set. So yesterday, let's say the dog reached six inches for the bumper pretty consistently and was doing a good job. Let's make it a foot or two today. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Set a goal um, and, and just keep going. So now the dog is, is – is if you can force fetch two sessions a day and the dog can handle it, do it. Okay. It's perfect. If the dog is – do you notice a, a considerable 
a considerable attitude change and not for the better. This is where you got to be a trainer. You got to read the dog. Maybe it's only maybe it's only good for one session a day, and then maybe it's other training sessions just run around a little bit and just just de stress. Um, you just got to read the dog. So let's just say now we have the dog reaching for the bumper. It's going almost to the ground, but you're holding onto the rope still. Now here's where I do something a little bit different. When they're doing that, then I grab a three-inch bumper. The hexa bumpers that are three inches. Mm -hmm. Then I do that same process with a three-inch bumper. Okay? Now I am no longer – I take the two-inch bumper and I put it away and I never use it again. And the reason for this is when a dog reaches down for a two-inch bumper – say it's laying on the concrete for a two-inch bumper, when it goes to grab it, its nose and its bottom jaw actually hit the concrete. Honestly, it's kind of hard for them to grab it. You know what, I, if you ever, you know what I'm trying? Sometimes they kind of tilt their head sideways. You yeah. know, you, know you, you guys know what I'm trying to talk about? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard for them to grab it. So we use a three-inch bumper now at this point because those are really easy to grab. More of the bumper is in their mouth when they go to get it. So it's easier for them to pick it up. We've even gone to the extreme of some people use those wooden barbell-looking things. The reason for that is because it keeps the barrel of the barbell up off the ground so it's easy for the dog to pick up. Okay? We've even gone to the extreme on a three-inch bumper or even a two-inch bumper, we put screws in the end of it, like inside the bump. Like we just screwed it so it has its own little barbell system, so to speak. You know, there's no sharp point sticking now. It just screws that hold that little bumper off the ground. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Like we put like an excellent. So now you're going to use a three. Now I'm using a three-inch bumper. It's so much easier to, to grab. Now this is where the rubber meets the road right here is – when you, I will tell you, I've seen this, can't tell you how many times. This is where it's going to get kind of frustrating. So you'll, you're holding onto the, onto the rope and it's reaching for it really nice and you're doing a good job and it's stable and it looks really good. He's got a decent metal attitude and you're pinching it and he's diving at it, which is fantastic. You know, quicker response. The second you let go of that rope and your hand's not down there and you ear pinching, and go down, the second you do that, he's not going to pick it up. Because your hand's not down there for that extra confidence. So it's another step. And that's where you might have to reach down there and act like you're going to reach for it and pinch it here, and then you kind of trick him into getting it. You might have to lift it up just a little tiny bit. But you want to get to the point where your dog's sitting at heel, that bumper's out in front of you three feet, and you pinch it here, and it reaches for that bumper and picks it up. Now, at this, during this whole phase, I'm not letting go of their collar ever, because a lot of times they'll try to get away from you. They'll spit it out and move. I want 100% complete control of the dog when I'm doing this. That's what a lot of people use the table, because they have got they've got such good head control of that dog on the table. And, and so the dog has nowhere to go but but to do the act. That's why I never let go of the collar. And that's why the obedience has to be so good if you're going to go on the floor. 
And once that dog picks the bumper up, and I lift it up, I tell it to sit and make it hold it really nice and stable, take it out of their mouth. I use the command give. I've heard leave it. I've heard any, you know, drop. We say give. Then we say give. The dog lets go of the bumper, put it back down, do it again. And then make it sit really nice. Now, I've still not let go of the collar. My hand, this is what, now can you see how it would kill your back? Mm-hmm. And you're bending down over, and the dog's pulling, and you're pulling, and you're bending over and over and over. And you're not going to want to go for more than 15 minutes anyway because you physically, it's going it, it, it to, it, it hurts your back. Can you not your sit on a bucket? Does that not work? I would not. You can during the whole portion of it if you'd like to sit on a chair and do the whole portion of it. Until you have to walk around, that's fine. But now you you need to be in control of the dog. You need to stand up, grab it, and now you're in control. Mm-hmm. So now what you're going to do is the dog is reaching down, grabbing the three-inch bumper, and it's doing it really consistently. And it's out there at three feet, and it reaches for it, grabs it. You pull it up. You make it sit. Now make that bumper five feet away. Fetch. Walk with the dog. Fetch. Walk with the dog. He's reaching for it. Go 10 feet away. Now you're walking. Heel. You say heel. You walk across the floor. Now you're doing a little bit of a thing they call walking fetch. But you are not. You have not let go of the collar yet. Heel. You walk with the dog. When you get close to the bumper, you pinch its ear. Say fetch. Pick it up. Make it sit. We're getting the dog to move now. Okay. Now we're moving. And now you may want to do that through the whole kennel. You may want to, you know, make it walk 20 feet, fetch, pick up the bumper. You're, you're, you're getting the dog to move. Now you make it sit when it picks up. So you're getting the dog to move. Now what you're going to do, and this, this is another big step, is you're going to try it. You're going to hold on to the collar, and you're going to be walking along, and you're going to say fetch. When you're getting close to the bumper, you say fetch, and now you, you always have a six-foot lead on you. This whole time you have a lead on, okay, on that collar that you have. Don't ever do this without a lead. You always have a lead on. So now you're walking through, and you say you're walking along, and you say fetch. The dog reaches for it. That's when you take your hand out of the collar, and now the dog is doing the act on its own. That's why you have the lead. You may have a dog. You may have dogs that the second you let go of the collar and the ear. They quit. Hmm. You're almost, you're walking, you're making the dog walk. You pitch it here, you say fetch. We were holding on to it earlier. Okay, now you say fetch, you let off on the ear pressure. Even before it's got the bumper in its mouth, it's just its momentum and its, and its, its muscle memory is grabbing that, grabbing that bumper. You may have a dog that stops at that point, which I guarantee it's going to happen, and you say, no, you grab the dog, you put the ear, you say, fetch, and then you make you do it again. Mm-hmm. So you see what I'm trying to say? Yes. Yeah, perfectly clear. And you just and you just keep, yep, and you just keep doing that. You want to keep doing that until the point where you can get that bumper is like 10 feet away. You got him on a leash. You want to get to the point where you maybe pinch his ear and say, fetch, and it takes off. And goes and get the bumper on its own. Mm-hmm. And then don't let go of the lead. You know, walk forward a step or two to your 10 feet away. And then now, once the dog, this is why hold is so important and obedience is so important. 
Now when it does that, you got to hold a lead. Now you pull it back to the heel, and now you got a hold of the, the leash, and now you make the dog come into heel nicely and sit down. Okay? Yep. You want to get to the point where you're not even touching the dog. You're actually going to have a hold of the leash. The bumper is laying on the ground, and you say fetch. It goes and gets it on its own and brings it back. And never let go of the leash. So that that's the point you want to get to. Is, is and then you want to get and once that's happening, you want to put out maybe a bumper or two on the ground, and walk the dog to heel holding onto a leash. And then and you say fetch. It re- now you're doing a little bit of walking fetch, and then you reach it down, and grab the bumper, and you tell it to sit. You put the bumper behind you. You walk forward. Pick up the other bumper, fetch, picks it up. Now, at any point in time you get a refusal here, the command's no. You grab the collar, you pinch your ear, you make them pick it up. The e-collar is no part of this okay. process at all. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. We're coming. It's coming. So once we're done with all of that, the dog is reacting quickly with, with momentum with, you know, they're, they're de- what I call it determined momentum. As long as they're doing a determined momentum, they're, they're going forward, they're reaching for the bumper, they're holding it nicely, they're coming in nice, everything's going well. Now you're ready for the caller. Mm-hmm. Are we, is everybody following so far? Yep. What, what day are we on at this point? Like what? I have I... no idea. <laughs> so there's not like... <laughs> An estimate, like, is this like the first week, no e-caller, and then you're going in the second no, week? No, this is going to take you, no, because when I say force fetch, when I, when I say force fetch, when I, I mean force fetch to me is from the first day of hold to the last day of collar, collar fetch. That's probably a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think, I think he's saying three days is about what it's going to take me, maybe four. <laughs> it's gonna take you a while. You're, you're gonna hate it. You're gonna hate it. So is this like close to the halfway point, or like where are we at as far as like? Um... You're about you're about three quarters done. Okay, three quarters done. You're so about, the last week will be the e collar, or two weeks, or three weeks, or it doesn't really matter. It all depends on the dog, and it depends on who's doing it. Okay. Yeah, it, you never know. It, it, this. To this point here, this could take you a month. I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't because with force fetch, you want to get in and get out as quickly as you can but do a very thorough job. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the longer you're in force fetch, you're, you're really deteriorating attitude. But you have to get in and get out, but you have to do it thoroughly. You can't kind of force fetch. Mm-hmm. It, you, it, it is what it is. It's done when it's done. Because I'm going to tell you, if it takes you six weeks, it takes you six weeks. Because this is going to be the foundation of your program. So it is what it is. So now you're at this point. So now we're going to back up just a little bit. You're going to put the e-collar on the dog. Um, this is you're going to be. It's going to be funny. You're going to have e-collar and transmitter and leash and bumper. You're going to have five things in your hand. You're like, how the hell do I do this? You can't get them all in your hands, but you just figure it out. So now what we're going to do is it's just like 
collar fetch. We use a healing stick or collar conditioning. We use a healing stick in obedience, and we substituted the collar for the healing stick. Now we're going to substitute the collar for the ear pinch. Okay? So what you're going to do is you're going to hold on to the, the – you're going to put the e-collar on him or her. Put your hand you're, – now you're going to use the e-collar to pinch the ear. You probably don't need to bend the tang up on the e-collar because it's already conditioned enough. You'll just use the tang through the e-collar without it bent up. Because it's going to be conditioned enough. It, it, it's going to be fine. So then you're going to pinch the ear, and you're going to have the bumper. This is a pain in the butt sometimes. You can have the transmitter in that hand or your other hand with a bumper. You get, figure out how to hold on to them. And you're going to, say, you're going to ear pinch and say fetch, and you're going to use the e-collar at the exact same time. They're going to reach for it, and you're let off on the ear and the collar. That's going to – if you've done a thorough enough job in the previous couple of weeks, this is going to go very smooth. You, and then you can – you'll probably get to the point really, really quickly where you hold on to the e-collar, and you just walk them forward, and you say fetch, and then you nick them with a low – start with low pressure. Use a continuous nick with low pressure. You know, fetch, continuous nick, fetch, and have them pick it up. Mm-hmm. If this is why, this is why collar conditioning is so important. Is because if they don't know how to turn the pressure off with an e collar and coming into this, you're in trouble. Okay. And this is why I collar conditioning before I force fetch. Yeah. Because if, if I would have like some people do, and that's fine if that's how they want to do it. That's just how I do it. Because in my head, this makes more sense to me thinking as a dog. So if you collar, if you force fetch before collar conditioning, so you've got obedience, and then you force fetch, then you would have to collar condition before you collar fetch. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So now with how I do it, I obedient, I collar condition, I force fetch, and I can roll right in the collar fetch. There's just just a smooth flow. There's no break. Okay. So now what you're going to want to get to the point of is you're going to walk a heel, collar on them. Make sure you have good – this is paramount. Make sure you have good connection with your e-collar and your dog. Make sure it's really – it's good connection. Mm-hmm. So now you're basically going to walk at heel – Bumper on the ground, and you're going to say fetch. You're going to continue with Nick, say fetch again, and, and that dog is going to pick up that bumper. It's just like you're you're substituting the e-collar for the ear pinch. Does that make sense? Yeah. But you said at the beginning of this stage, you do the ear and the pinch, and then you phase out. The, I'm sorry, the ear and the, the Nick, but then you phase out the, the ear just to the Nick. Yeah. That, yeah, we're phasing that out as quickly as you can. Yeah, as quickly as you can. Just so their mind okay. is connecting the so two now, is all you're doing, right? Correct. That's all we're doing is connecting them in their minds, connecting the two. And if you've done a good job on collar conditioning, and you've done a good job on force fetch, and the dog is working with you, the dog's a team player. This is going to go very smooth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, long as you did a good job of collar conditioning, and now there are some dogs out there. This is going to be really rough on the more sensitive dogs. They're not going to like this at all. This is where you've got to, in your obedience program and your collar conditioning program, hopefully you've taught the dog to be stable and, and with mental stress. 
because let's face it, this is, yeah, the ear pinch hurts, and yeah, the e-collar hurts, but this is way more mentally stressful than, than physical pressure by far, by far. So a lot of the refusals that you get aren't because a dog is, is, is scared of the e-collar or the ear pinch. They're, they're just mentally stressed out. Yeah. Okay. This is where, you, as a trainer, you got to push them through this. This is where you're training. And so now you want to get to the point in collar conditioning, um, and call, excuse me, collar fetch, um, where you can put the bumper on the ground. And I always use white bumpers on my, my three-inch white bumpers. And you, where you can walk at heel nicely. You know, you're, now we're going to collar fetch. We're going to walk. We're going to do walking fetch. Walking fetch. So you're, so you've got one bumper out right now, and you're going to be walking nicely, and you're going to say fetch. You're going to use continuous nick. Say fetch again. The dog is going to reach down. Hopefully quickly, with a good response, reach down and grab as quickly as it can. Then you're going to say sit. And then you're going to put up behind you. And, and, and now, don't get in a hurry with this. Make them sit nicely. Hold the bumper nicely. You know, can, you know, be very stable. Take the bumper out. Give. Put it behind you. Walk forward. Turn the dog. Walk into that same exact bumper. Fetch. Nick. Fetch. Grab it. You're, you're trying to drive, almost drive the dog into the bumper. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And you set them after that. You now, don't. You, you don't want, heal them though. You they fetch it, then you set them. No, I set them down. I make them sit. I make them sit. Okay, but not heal. Yeah, I make them sit. Okay. And you're they're going to sit at heel. Okay. Like they're going to be healing. You're going to be walking at heel. Oh, so they're already yeah. going to basically be in the heel positions make, when they sit there. Okay. Got it. Yeah, they're going to be. You're going to be doing this the whole way. They're in the heel position. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So and you're going to want to get to the point where you have like four or five bumpers, white ones, and it's going to be like a ladder. You're going to have one one, one down, another 10 feet, have another one, another 10 feet, have another one. So it looks like a ladder, 10 or 15 feet. And when we're doing this, when you put the bumper down, when they, when they come into the bumper with their mouth, you want to have the bumper perpendicular to their mouth not facing, not not going lengthwise because it's harder to grab. You want it to be perpendicular. You know what I mean? Make it as easy on the dog as a, it, to grab that. Easy. Yeah. All right. That makes yep. sense. So now you're going to want to do like walking fetch, where you're going to walk along and you're going to say fetch, and, he's gonna, and you're going to use the e collar and drive them into that bumper. They're going to sit down, hold it nicely, take it out, throw it behind you, walk into the next one. Fetch, e-collar, pick it up, throw it behind you. You're going to keep doing this until the point where you can get to you're walking along and you say fetch, use the e-collar, picks it up, put it behind you, walk along, say fetch. Now no e-collar, reach down and grab it. And you're winning. Mm -hmm. Now if you get a refusal there, I don't really like to use <clears> – <throat> I don't really like to use the collar there. I like to use maybe grab it by the grab it by the um, not just collar. I like to grab it by the by the collar 
and then maybe use the collar, the e-collar, say fetch, and now you physically have held the dog. And you're like, man, they're like, oh, man, here we go again. Uh-huh. That's a more of a physically intimidating movement. You know what I yeah. mean? You now you've had a hold of him. Yeah. You mean this. Mm-hmm. I, I said fetch. And then when you get a refusal. And, and sometimes you can ear pinch, too. Um, I usually just if, – if collar fetch is going well and they refuse, then I usually grab the collar and use the e-collar. To, I, I use I, I have a hold of the collar, and I'm using the e-collar to, to, to do that, if that makes yeah. sense. Now, you got to understand something, too. you gotta you got to figure out what is the refusal and what is they just get the bumper. Some dogs will come into the bumper really fast and miss it. Like, they'll go to try to grab it as quickly as they, as they can, and it just falls out of their mouth. Now, as a trainer, you've got to look at, okay, was that a refusal, or did he just was just trying so hard that they missed it? If, if you think they just missed it, you just pull them back and say, no, here, 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 heel, fetch. You know, walk, you see what I'm yes. saying? Just calm them down. Sometimes some dogs just lurk, lunge at it so fast, they just they bump it and they don't get to grab it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and you're going to want to do that. You're going to want to do all of that. You're going to do one, all that all that walking fetch. <clears throat> and then now you've got to – so that's all going really good. Now you want to proof it. You want to proof your force fetch. You want to proof, proof that stuff. And one thing I like to do is I like to use continuous pressure here. Now, I've not used any continuous pressure at all. Most of it's been continuous mix, maybe one or two seconds, but nothing really continuous. Okay? Mm-hmm. What I like to do now is proof your your work. Now we want to try to do something to make the dog so force fetch really, this is going to sound very funny, but force fetch really isn't done until you've reached failure. Hmm. Okay. Once you've reached, you got to get them to the point of almost a failure with the pressure. This is going to sound really weird. And, and, and guys, unless you're good at this and, and you're, you're experienced at it, be very careful at this point. Because unless you've done a really solid job of collar conditioning and a really solid job of force fetch, this is not going to go very well. But what we do with our dogs, especially the kind of the high roller dogs that we know are going to be test dogs and we know that they're going to be, you know, king, king dingling, you know they're going to be those dogs. Mm-hmm. You just you see it, everything about them, they're just very talented. They like to work with you. and You know they're going to have a career. Even if you've got a great hunting dog and you know it's going to be great, but it's got a lot of desire and it's working with you and it's trying super hard and you want to maybe teach it to run blind retrieve, you want to make it to that next level, you can tell. When you see those dogs, you can just say, yep, this dog's a real deal. So on those dogs there, we like to do what we call proofing it. And what we do, literally do, is we put a bumper out there at like 10 feet. I'm going to make them sit at the heel. We've got the e-collar on them. We're holding on to the leash. And I'll say fetch. And I'll literally hold them back with the lead. And I'll use continuous pressure. I'll go fetch, continuous pressure. We'll start, we'll start low at first, ones and twos. 
because they've never really been held back. Now, we want to see if that dog, we say fetch and use continuous pressure, we want to see if that dog will almost pull you to the bumper. So you're literally, you're letting out slack, you're letting out the leash through your hands, really, but you've got pressure on it. So they're just not running to it. You're literally holding them back to see if that dog will, will almost, quote unquote, drag you to the bumper. Mm-hmm. And then you and you when you, that happens, we kind of just keep going up the scale with the collar. Okay, we just kind of keep going up the scale, and we'll say fetch, and we use continuous pressure, and they'll literally almost drag us to the bumper. Because they know that pressure is coming off the when they get it, right? Yeah, they know that pressure is coming off as soon as they get it that into their mouth. That's the only thing that they can think of is I've got to get that in my mouth as fast as possible so this stops. Yeah. Now, you want to get to the point of failure. You want to re- get up to – now, your dog may be making noise, maybe squealing, maybe doing this. And, and unless you're a trainer and you really appreciate the training process, um, if you're a little bit – I don't want to say queasy, but if you're a little bit soft-hearted and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that, then don't do it. But if you really appreciate the process and you really want to do a thorough job and your dog is capable of doing it, if you see a dog doing this, it is super, super impressive. Hmm. Because when you do that and you reach that point of failure and your dog is dragging you to the bumper and literally clawing into the ground to drag you, you are winning. You are doing a great job of sports match. And your dog may make all kinds of noise. Now, you want to get that pressure up so high that it doesn't, it, it, it can't fight through the pressure mentally to get to the bumper. Now you've reached failure. That's when you back off the pressure and you do it again and you teach it what you want with less pressure. And he's like, oh, okay. Then you gradually move up the scale again. Are you guys following yes. me? Yes. Yep. This is a super, if you've never seen it, it's super impressive. I mean, it is the dog. You've really trained the dog well to do this. I'm not telling you guys to do this and everybody listening. I'm not using everything and holy crap, he's nuts. (laughs) Trust me, I'm not. I've done it so many times. But these are the dogs that we really see see it in. Um, And we'll do that. Now, I'm not telling you guys to do this for a week. I'm talking... At the end of every session, maybe do it, and maybe it's the last session, and and you're saying, okay, I think I've got this. We're gonna proof him now, and you're gonna do this, and if it and if it fights through the pressure really good in that session, and you're and you just keep going up the scale, and it keeps squealing, and it keeps digging, and it's dragging you, and you can do that three or four or five times, and it never quits, and never shuts down, and you get it to shut down and refuse. But then you, you teach it again and you up the pressure and it's doing it, you're done. Yeah. I mean, you're like, heck yeah, man, I got this deal. I mean, I got it. And, and and you can do this with every dog. Some dogs are a lot softer than others, okay? And their threshold may be twos and threes and fours. There's some dogs on my collar, there's nine, they're on nine on the hottest collar in the world and they still do. Wow. It all depends on the dog. Like it all depends on the dog. Um, 
Like, I got Jet laying here on the floor next to me when I'm he's eight time Grand Retriever champion, Hall of Fame, Master National Underdog. And you could put it on a 15 if it would go to 15, and he would he could care less. Hmm. Like, I'm getting this. I'm listening to this yeah. deal. But every dog can do this, but every dog has got different thresholds, um, if that makes yep. sense. Yep. Now, be careful doing stuff like this. Make sure that you're a, you had a really thorough job. You've done a really thorough job. The dog is stable. Um, be very careful of, of of going too fast. Not everybody does what I just did right there. I explained it. Not everybody does that. But I think it, it helps dogs when you really get into horse to pile. I think it really helps them understand pressure shutting off pressure because now we're really getting into the the meat the meat and the bones of 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 pressure conditioning Mm -hmm. like we're 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 making that dog mentally stronger by letting them fight through what they don't think they can actually do and get through you actually we can actually make them do that is this all ties back into what we were talking about last session with the e-collar condition that i hadn't done that all ties together it sounds like It's all, it's all, it's all tying together. Mm-hmm. You're trying to build a pressure condition, mentally strong dog. So, because let's face it, guys, everybody thinks forest fetches to pick up a bird, bring it back in the heel and not eat it and look nice. And, and that's one thing. That's for sure one thing. But if you're going to teach your dog to run blind retrieve, a real blind retreat, not a hunt them up out there 50 yards and wander around with a real blind retreat. You can't do the modern training techniques. The modern programs involve, involve force to pile and water force. You can't teach a dog to properly handle without force fetching properly, without collar conditioning properly and without collar fetching. This is your foundation of your entire training program from here on out because and we'll get into this in a future podcast but what do you do because you have to you have to force a dog to a pile and we'll, we'll get into this later but you force a dog to a pile with an e-collar that's basically what we're doing right now but in a very small condensed form of it so you can't have a modern program that involves force a pile and water force and de-cheat, and all those things without doing this. So picking up a bird and coming into heel is one very small detail of force fetch. Because another thing, force fetch is also teaching the dog to be mentally tougher. And it's also establishing color conditioning and force fetch. Obedience does a little bit, but color conditioning and force fetch actually establish Elliot as the boss of Georgie. Mm-hmm. It solidifies, hey, I'm the alpha. Because when I was a kid, I, you always think you're the alpha until dad takes the belt off and you hear the belt coming <laughs> off yeah. and you learn real quick who the alpha is. <laughs> so you're, you have the belt now. So this establishes you as the dominant, 100%, you are the dominant animal in this dog's pack. Yeah. And there's no question. I don't know. You think so you're making it do things. Jordan, this has been completely clear to me. It doesn't want to. 
What's well, that? You have explained this. I don't have any question marks at all. I think you have explained it crystal clear every step of the way. I feel like I have a, I'll have to listen to this podcast again several well, times. I, I'm trying, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, you're going to go back and you're going to listen to this when you're doing it with George. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Because it's not going to go as smooth as you think. Mm-hmm. You're going to have bumps in the road. But I'm telling you, you've got to do it. And, and you've got, and I, they're going to squeal and they're going to squawk and they're going to try to get away. And if you live in town, your neighbor's going to want to call a cop. <laughs> I mean, you're, I mean, your kids are going to hate you. Your wife's going to think you've lost your mind. It's just something that needs to be done. Um, and you have to, and once you start it, you better finish it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, you're not kind of pregnant and you're not kind of force fetched. You either are, you aren't, <laughs> um, you know, you either are, you aren't. And, and, and if, and if you get through this, you, you are the dominant person. Now there's a lot of different force fetch programs out there. Um, I know Freddie's got a really good one on his retriever trainer. There's a lot of different programs out there on how to force fetch this is how we do it there's other ways of doing it but the 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 biggest thing of any program you follow is stick to the program do the program and you've got to reach failure before you're done and and it's all about pressure conditioning it's all about pressure If, if, if force fetch goes and you're done in two weeks including hold and collar collar fetch and the whole deal I'm going to tell you right now, I've only force fetched in my 20 year career. I only force fetched a dog completely done in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, it was, it, believe it or not, it was a German wire hair named Dixie. One of the, I could not believe it. It was one of the smartest animals I've ever seen in my entire life. I couldn't believe it. And I know there are some people that can get it done in a week, maybe two, but those guys, I'm a little leery about. And I know there's some really good ones out there. I can't do that. I'm not built that way. I'm, my program is not built that way. I go a little bit softer when it comes to that stuff. I go, you know, I work on hold really, really good. Make sure that I'm super anal and thorough about when we train about all, it's all about stability, pressure conditioning, and this dog being stable. I'm really worried about that because I see what happens down the road in the future on dogs that aren't. So I always err on the side of caution. So it takes us a little bit longer to get through the process. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, once we're done with force fetch, we don't go back to it. It's over. It's very thorough and done. But we, you got to get in with and get out as quickly as you possibly can, but be thorough. Now, during this whole process, do you not do any kind of bumper work or throwing them retrieves of any kind? Now, there, there, now, I will tell you this. If you want to, you can, but I'm very, very leery on that because what about if okay, you work on hold inside your garage and the dog's holding like a champ, doing great. Now, if it's holding good, you can toss some stuff in your bumpers or birds or whatever you want to across the floor. They pick it up. They come in the heel. And then they're holding it really nice. Well, hey, I'm gonna go outside and do this. And then they start dropping it. And then, but now you're detraining the dog again. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I'm just thinking more now for exercise. So maybe just taking them for a jog or even like a on a leash with the bike or something. I, I'm just thinking energy burn. You know, 
more than anything. No, no, no. You, if you want to take it for out for exercise, go yeah, for it. Yeah. Absolutely. But we, we quit marking because before we start forest fetch, we have our dogs marking. We have them chasing birds. We have a retrieving desire really yeah. high. Um, as high as we can get the dog. Not all dogs have that burning desire to retrieve. Mm-hmm. You know, some dogs are good, some dogs are bad, but we get the dog's desire as high as we can get it before we start the process. Yeah. Well, she, she, uh, Georgia's got a great thing, desire like, to retrieve. There's no doubt about that. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I, I know that for a fact. <laughs> um, so that's great. Now, I will tell you, I've seen it a thousand times. I've seen dogs come out of horse fetch not wanting to retrieve. Mm-hmm. And the, and the dogs that are like that, most of them that have loved to retrieve coming into force fetch are going to be totally fine. Just work them mm-hmm. through it. Make it fun for them again. Throw some fun stuff. Lack up, like, let up on the control a little bit. Just make it fun. Mm-hmm. Okay? I, I've seen that a lot. And don't freak out like, oh, my God, I ruined her. <laughs> you didn't ruin her. It's going to be fine. I'll be getting a phone call at 1030 at night. <laughs> be freaking out. I, you know, I get it. But, but, um, but they're going to be fine. Now I will tell you at any point, I'm trying to tell the listeners on here at any point in time, you don't think they're doing it right. Or, or you're nervous about it or you don't know what's going on. Seek professional help. Seek a good professional help because this is an extremely important part of, of training. I can't even tell you how important it is. Because you can't, even if a dog is at force fetch, you can't really do doubles because, or triples or anything because the dog's got to come in to heal and sit down and hold the bird and look out and go get the other one. And if the dog comes in and dropping it, that's just not, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Or a hunting dog, if the dog is at force fetch hunting, and I've seen it happen a ton of times, especially pheasant hunting, they go out and get the bird and they bring it back and it's crippled yeah. and they drop it. And it runs mm-hmm. off, or or they have the duck in their mouth, and they drop it in the river or a pond, and it dies, and you lose it. You know, it, there's a lot of things for force fetch. It's very important, and and I know I'm kind of rambling, but it, it's not going to go as smoothly as you think. I explained it all. I kind of you know how, what we did. It's not going to go as smoothly as you yeah. think, but it. If you stay with it, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And this is going to be your foundation. I will tell you that the, when you're done with force fetch, you're going to feel like you conquered the world. Mm-hmm. On your first dog, the first dog I trained, 19, 1991, 90, 90, 90, the first dog I force fetch, I was 18 years old, 1990, and I'm old. And I thought I was, man, I'm like, I'm not, this is great. I'm the greatest trainer ever. And you're going to feel like it, but I will tell you what, there's very few people out there that know how to force fetch. And if you, when you get done with force fetch and you do a good job and you've done a good job, you should be very proud of yourself. I'm excited to start. Everybody listening should be very I'm proud. I'm excited to start. Awesome. Well, <laughs> for now you are. I'm going to call you in about <laughs> two weeks and you'll be laying in a fetal position. Your she phone. won't stop crying. Oh. I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hurting. I'm hurting my baby. <laughs> I do love that dog. I will say. I, I already know what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely. I'm glad you do. 
But no, this is, I mean, and this is going to, it sounds very simple. And honestly, it is kind of simple, but you're going to have bumps in the road and where you have to just kind of, at some point in time, the dog is going to challenge you. It is going to hit resentment stage. It's not even going to like you. It's not going to want to go in the garage or wherever you're doing it. it it's not going to want to do it one mm. bit. It, it kind of hits that resentment stage. So when that's happening, that's when you've got to man up and say, okay, listen, we're doing this today. And, so you, and you can't see this right to, now, but me and, El, me and Elliot uh, um, have cameras on when we're recording it, and there's just tears streaming down his face. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, I can believe it. I can believe it. I can't believe it. Like a like crocodile tears, like not <laughs> my can't baby. even breathe and stuff like I <laughs> I can believe it. But no, I mean it's a it's a and then like I said, there's lots of ways out there. You know, like Freddie Freddie's got that deal and, and it's good. It's really good. And he, but he I don't and I've never really watched it, but I know he does a good job. I don't think he gets into the, the, the refusal part of it where dragging you know, with a mm-hmm. leash and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just something we do uh, on some dogs, and most dogs we do that with, just because I like to proof that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I will tell you, well, I will tell you, I when this is over, hopefully, hopefully you don't have to force with a bird. Um, and what I mean by that is, is hopefully you don't have to force on a bird. They won't retrieve a bird, okay? But if you do... Hopefully you can get some frozen pigeons or something and freeze them. And it's almost like a bumper. It's not a bad idea on some dogs to put that out, throw that out there and do like a little, like a little collar fetch, like a walking collar mm-hmm. fetch with like a frozen pigeon. Just to let them know that, Hey, you've got to pick this up too. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I hopefully you don't have to do a bunch of, I don't, we don't like to force on birds. We, every once in a while we have to, but we don't like to force on birds, but if you have to, you have to, but if you do use like a frozen pigeon or a really small duck or something small, um, not a, like, not like a big frozen mallard because that, those are hard to grab anyway. Yeah. Um, you want to use something small, like a bumper size. Okay. okay. Um, awesome. and, and whatever you do. And I'm I'm bringing this up while we're talking about force fetch. I've seen this happen, and I've seen this go really, really bad. Is people, especially where I live, we shoot a lot of Canadian geese, and people are like, "My dog won't pick pick up a Canadian goose. It'll pick up ducks. It'll pick up everything, but it won't pick up a Canadian goose." So they try to force the dog to pick up a Canadian goose with a collar or ear pinch or something like that. Please, 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 don't do that. You got to understand something. A, a good goose dog that picks up geese, geese are big where I live. We're not talking specs. We're not talking snows. We're talking about, you know, greater Canada. And they're big. And dogs have to learn to pick mm-hmm. them up. Your dog could be perfectly force fetched, do everything right, and not really want to pick up the goose because they're a big, physically daunting animal. If that's the case, please don't force your dog to pick up a goose because then you make it even more scary, you know, quote unquote scary for the dog. Just make sure the goose is dead. Take it, throw it as a fun bumper, just throw it for fun. 
and let it learn how to pick them up. Let it learn how to, hey, I'm going to grab it by the wing bone, or I'm going to grab it by the base of the neck, or I'm going to let them figure out how to pick up that goose. Don't force them to pick up that goose. That's going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't do a lot of, I know a lot of people do, they make a pick up weird things like antlers and, and hammers. And I don't do any of that. I literally, I worry about picking up a bumper and a bird. That's what I worry about. So um, the goose thing, don't force them on a goose. Just throw it for them as a fun throw and let them figure it out. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Yeah. And then after this, is over, after forest fetch is over, get them out of forest fetch, start, we'll start throwing birds, make it fun, make it fun for them again. Um, when they get out of forest fetch, I will, we always back off on the obedience a little bit. We let them just have fun. We like throw fun bumpers, throw fun birds. We even let them break a little bit. We want to get their attitude back up out of force fetch. We want, we want them rocking and yeah. rolling. Then we start staying them up. After. So you, you can expect to That's see that drive a little bit lower coming right out of it, and then it just builds back up. Yeah. It, oh yeah, you do. You're gonna you're, you're gonna see the drive coming out of it a little bit lower. A lot of times they're gonna be a little bit more cautious. Now they're gonna be a little more cautious about the mm. world. They're gonna be like, okay, I don't want to get in trouble. And you just gotta let them just have fun again. That's why coming into force fetch, we don't. I don't, and I don't even like to do it. Making our dogs be steady. Um, coming into mm-hmm. force fetch. I want them to have the highest amount of retrieving desire that they possibly can coming into yeah. force fetch. Because this is going to be, collar conditioning and force fetch is going to be very mentally taxing. Mm-hmm. And we want to keep that drive up as high as we possibly can because you can always steady them up. And the old saying is you can always take it out of them, but you can't put mm-hmm. it in them. So we want that dog as, as retrieving nuts as possible. Now we want it to be very obedient coming into force fetch, but I don't care about all the steadiness. I really don't. We'll hold on to the collar a little bit. When the bird almost hits the ground, we'll send them. I, I, I don't care about the steadiness as much. Now obedience, yes. Steadiness, not mm-hmm. so much. Because they're going to be down a little bit coming out of this process. Awesome. Yeah. And I don't know if I explained it very well. That's just it's a it's a it's a it's a process, guys. And it's the biggest thing you guys can do it. Um, I'm here for any questions. I've gotten I can't tell you guys how many emails, phone calls, private messages on Facebook I've gotten out of this last podcast <laughs> about collar about collar conditioning. Hey, should I go back and collar condition my dog? I don't know. I, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't. And then we talk through it, and, and people are doing it. They're going back and redoing some stuff. Um, and I'll probably get the same thing at a force fetch. And, and I'll, I'll be more than happy to help anybody. I'll answer them as they come, you know, as much as I can. Um, but it, it was just one of them things. Um, and you can go back on an older dog and do it. It's not fun by no means, but it can be done for sure. Well, I feel really confident well, coming out of all this to start tomorrow. For sure, I'm I'm ready to. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, you probably are because you went through the collar conditioning pretty good, and you upped the pressure on Georgie, and you saw what the up pressure made her respond yeah. quicker, and kind of grow up a little yep. bit. So now you're like, hey, I can do this. It, it, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You gotta remember, it's all about pressure conditioning, make it mentally tougher, 
it's going to help you down the road on your program. Awesome. Well, I can definitely say for myself on this that, like, I mean, that was just a boatload of information, not knowing a lot about collar conditioning. So um, even for myself to kind of get a full grasp on it, I think I'm going to have to listen to this uh, um, another time, a <laughs> second time at yeah. least. So, I mean, I literally could, we could have a two day seminar on horse fetch. I oh, mean, yeah. we literally, I mean, but this was just a, a quick hour deal on, on how we, how we do it here and, and, and the benefits of it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you, you on that. And, um, you did an excellent uh, job explaining us and taking us through it. And I'm really looking forward to Elliot taking his dog through it here, um, in the coming month and, and, uh, seeing his progression with Georgie. Um, but you know, I think this is probably a perfect time for us to go ahead, um, and wrap this one up. Um, so thanks again. We really appreciate you coming on, um, sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Um, but before we cut it off, go ahead and let people know again, where they can find you across social media, um, and your website and and everything like that. Yep. Absolutely. Guys, if you want to follow us, we're on Facebook. I don't do a ton on Instagram. I need to do more, but we're on Facebook. Um, Flatlander Kennels Inc. We do a lot of, we do a ton of dog of the day videos. We do a lot of setup on the videos. We do a lot of diagrams. We show a lot of dogs being trained on the ins and outs of things. So follow us on that. We do it. We're going to start doing a bunch of giveaways this summer. I've got a website too that's got a bunch of info on it, you know, www.flatlanderkennels.com. And you can PM me off of Facebook or whatever. But yeah, go ahead and follow us. We're easy to get a hold of. And I try to, answer the messages as they come so we get quite a few a day when i try to get you know answer them as they come awesome all righty fellas thanks everybody for tuning in for another one um again thanks chris for coming on and let's go ahead and sign off i'm jordan from duck and chronicles elliot from freelance duck hunting and chris from flatlander kennels and we'll see you guys on the next one all right guys thank you Alrighty, fellas, and that is a wrap on the podcast. Real quick, I just wanted to give you guys an update. This was the first podcast episode recorded post me having my surgery. Um, and first off, just want to give a big thanks to the people who sent me messages and um, emails across social media and all that. You know, appreciate everybody thinking about me and sending prayers my way. Um, I am on the road to recovery now, so doing good. Um, but you know, with something like this, it's just going to take some time taking it easy. So don't worry, that'll give me plenty of time to get these podcasts out, keep them rolling, um, and keep the content rolling out. So, um, we got some good, exciting episodes coming in the future. I hope you guys are excited about it. I know I am. So anyways, guys, that's a final sign off for me, Jordan from Duck and Chronicles, and we'll see you guys on the next one.